Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled Worship Against the Chaos was given by Bill Dogtrum and is the fourth in our series, Worship. Well, good morning. How many of you are enjoying living in Southern California when you could be living in Ohio? Yeah, it's a good thing. Anybody have relatives in other parts of the country that you love to call on days like this? Is this, this these are the days for which Skype was invented. You know, you, I, I take my, my wireless computer connection and I point it out the window. So my sister who lives in Calgary, Alberta with minus 20, say it with me, minus 20 and six inches of snow can say mean things to me. Oh. All right, uh, we are, we are, we are um, in, the, in this month just focusing on worship. And Darren and I have been bouncing back and forth on what worship is, the ascription of worth to one who is worthy. And um, today I want to uh, direct your attention to Isaiah uh, in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 6. Um, it is the beginning of uh, kind of his mission, his call, and I want to set the frame here in, in, in just a minute. But on days like this, it is easy to get distracted by the beauty of the creation, isn't it? To, to, to stop at the sign and not look to what the sign points. To see the wonder of it and, and, and be grateful for it, but not say thank you. Um, and thank you for reminding me that I forgot. If anybody needs Bibles, we've got a few up here on the side. Tyler, maybe you can help me out with that. Um, we, we've got some here. Just again, just stick your hand up if you need one. Um, uh, okay, we're, we're good. Looks like we're, we're doing good. And Mickey's got them, got them there as well. All right. Uh, so we're in Isaiah chapter 6. It's about halfway through the, the Old Testament. Actually, if you, if you kind of open your Bible... Um, about halfway through, you're going to be very, very close to it, so uh, look with me there. Um, and chapter 6 begins this, this idea that, that we want to not separate what we do from our worship, but we want to bring what we do in the six days of the week that we are not gathered together. We want to, to bring that here. So last time I was talking from Psalm 100 a couple of weeks ago, uh, with its, its, its parallel and twin ideas that we, we serve the Lord with gladness and then we come before the Lord with singing, right? That 24-7 service of the Lord as we, as we stand in front of our preschool uh, class, as we, as we uh, sit at our computer terminals, as we wait on customers uh, as they come into the shop or into the restaurant. We want to bring that life and the way that we have served God in that to what we do here on a Sunday morning. So the idea is that we want to develop a song in response to what's happening in life and then come and bring our songs and join the choir as we, as we lift up, magnify, glorify, and worship God. How many of you know sometimes, though, that's difficult, Right? that sometimes, in spite of your very best efforts, chaos breaks out in the 24-7 life that we live, six days a week. Huh? How many know what chaos feels like? Uh, you're on the spin cycle, yeah? And, and, and it just feels like it's, it's this relentless 
things that, that are coming in. Do you ever wake up some morning and, and turn on your email and you just think, really? One, one more thing. Isn't this like piling on? Doesn't somebody like, where's the whistle? Where's the referee? Where's the whistle to, to bring an end to the things that keep layering on to my life? Now you know, in a sense, what Isaiah was feeling. Look with me in chapter 6, verse 1. In the year, he says, of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. One of them called out to the other of them and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, your sin is forgiven. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Powerful passage. Yeah? Back up. Verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, the death of a king in an ancient Near Eastern uh, culture meant chaos for the, for the community until a, a new king had established his authority in that place. Uzziah, Uzziah rather, had been the king in Israel for close to 40 years. So they had not had this transition that, that we see taking place in a chaotic culture, in a chaotic community for quite some time. Isaiah was one of the prophets uh, who was assigned to the palace. So in other words, there was an official function for a prophet to, to channel, if you would, to dis disseminate the word of the Lord to the ruling voice, to speak, as it were, to power, to speak God's word to the people in positions of power. And that was one of Isaiah's uh, functions. In fact, um, he was probably a relative of King Uzziah, and so had his position in place. But what happens when in, a, in, in an ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, the, the ruling authority dies? What happens is that you get chaos until something new takes place. All of those who were affiliated with the previous administration are not just having to box up their offices and move out, their lives are at risk. 
because they were the prime minister in charge of, they were the, 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 the minister in charge of such and such and so and so with a previous administration. So it's not like we vote and then on an orderly day in January we transition power with the raising of the hand and the laying of... Uh, it, it's not like that. Uh, the, maybe a, a close way that we could get a, a sense of this is to watch what happens in the transitions in a, in a sub-Saharan uh, country. Maybe if, you can, if you've been watching what's been happening in Sudan with the, with the uh, vote to, to, to move the south from the north and, and, the, and the tension, the tension is almost palpable as people wait to hear and see whether that will be an orderly transition. Or we get an idea of what happens when, when the American um, troops leave uh, Baghdad and leave Iraq and, and, and an elected, moderately elected government comes in and now ethnic violence or religious violence begins to, to its resurgence, or tribal identities, we see that more in Afghanistan now, begin to reassert their, their, their power, right? So you get a feel for the kind of thing that is beginning to happen. And what is Isaiah's concern? Well, his concern is fairly simple. What do you do when chaos breaks out in your life? When the things that you had counted on to give your life, meaning definition, to say nothing of a salary, are now all of a sudden gone. And not only are those things gone, but your life perhaps is at risk. So that's, the, that's the, the scenario that is at the backdrop of this story. And I love Isaiah's response. Where does he go when chaos breaks out? He goes to the temple. He goes to the place of meeting. He goes before God. That's always a good place to go when chaos breaks out because from Genesis 1-1 we learn that God is a God who speaks order to chaos. Genesis 1 is the story of God's increasingly ordering of the chaos that is pictured in Genesis 1-2. So when things are chaotic, confusing, when you're wondering where the whistle is, when things are piling up on top of you and you are wondering when is it ever going to end? The first and perhaps best place to go is before the Lord. But what do you do when you get there? And here's where Isaiah's vision becomes helpful. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. This one verse is mind-blowing to me. Where, when he enters into the temple, does he see God? What is his vision? He sees God high and lifted up, sitting on a throne. Why is he there? Because his protector, the king Uzziah, who previously sat on the throne of Israel, has died, and now the throne is empty. So he comes into the presence of the Lord, and what does he discover? That it is God himself who is sitting on a throne larger than that of Israel's. You start to feel the shift take place in his heart? Not only that, however, he says, he is lofty and exalted. 
He is so large. He is so huge. There's no words to describe the content of this vision except this one little snapshot word picture that he says, the train of his robe fills the temple. The sanctuary in which Isaiah was uh, meeting God is roughly uh, a half again about the size of this room. With me? The word train here is an interesting Hebrew word. It means it's referring to the trailing edge and particularly the tassel on the robe of the priest, on the robe of those who were ministering to God. You starting to get a picture here? This God is so high, so exalted, apparently there's no absence of someone to sit on the throne. He is high and lifted up, and, his, and one of the tassels on the trailing edge of his robe fills the space in which Isaiah finds himself worshiping. One tassel, you know what a tassel is? Fills the space. Apparently God's big enough to handle Isaiah's chaos. You with me? This is important. This is important. And then hearing this, he sees flying, hovering two angels. We're not given a whole lot of, of information in the Old or New Testaments about the ministry of angels, but one of their ministries, one of their services, in fact, the word angelos has this idea in Greek, uh, the, the, the word in, in Hebrew uh, carries the idea of messenger or servant. So these two stand, six winged creatures stand hovering in the air and their sole function in this moment is to minister to God, not meeting his needs in any way, but speaking the truth about him so that he, they create, if you will, a, a, a sound wave of truth that just echoes in that space. You, 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 you with me? This is... This, uh, sorry, I'm trying to... Probably should put the compression on the recorder because I'm going to get loud here in a minute. All right, so as we, as we go through this, what are they saying? They are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Threefold holy. The word holy means set apart. It means entirely other. You can't get there from here. He is not just different in degree, he's different in kind than you. Three is the statement of perfection, the statement of completion. So when the angels sing back and forth to each other in response, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, they are declaring in that moment and in that celebration that God is completely other, completely separated, completely elevated from you. He is not at all like you. He is holy, perfectly holy, perfectly set apart, completely other than you. Right? And he is the Lord of hosts. What does that mean? The word hosts is the Hebrew word that refers to armies. He is the commanding officer of the armies of the heavens. 
You, you starting to get the feel here? Now, Isaiah isn't good because when you have a transition in government, what happens to the agents outside that government? They want to take advantage of the power vacuum. So Isaiah is, is, a, is frightened at what is possibly going to happen as the Assyrians and the Babylonians begin to surge in their power. Is Israel a ripe plum suitable for picking? And his vision is of a high and mighty God who is the commander of the commanders. He is the Lord of hosts. The New Testament version of this is King of kings. Lord of lords. Jesus is the one at whose name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And Isaiah here is having a vision of a God who is big enough to handle the chaos that is occurring in not his life only, but the life of Israel. And please notice with me how quickly this vision moves away from Isaiah's personal concerns to the things that are happening in the natural and the supernatural world around him. Right? What happens when the sound waves of this declaration begin to resonate in that solid stone building that Solomon had built with foundation stones roughly the size of a boxcar. It says, verse 4, those foundation stones began to tremble at the sound waves of the one who cried out, and the temple was filling with smoke, significant of glory, significant of presence, significant of the dust of the ages beginning to vibrate itself loose from the foundation stones as the sound waves of the declaration of the holiness, the glory, the majesty, the power, the wonder, the goodness of God begins to resonate and cause that building to vibrate as if it were in an earthquake. Just the sound waves of worship will reorient the space in which you worship. You with me? So, things have all of a sudden shifted gears here for Isaiah. He came in anxious about his job, his life. Perhaps on a broader scheme, what's going to happen to Israel. And as he is in this place, as his vision of God increases, now what is he concerned about? Verse 5, I said, I'm dead. My life is in ruins because I am a person, a man of unclean lips. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In other words, he's saying, I'm a dead man. That's one way to resolve chaos, by the way. Right? I'm a dead I'm 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 a dead man. My eyes have seen from Exodus we learn anybody who looks on God in this kind of way is likely liable to death. You can't see God so holy is he. Not that it's an affront it's that holiness has a percussive force in the world. It it is it is it is changing 
the very structure of the universe when holiness is let loose upon it. That's why he calls us to be holy. He believes that if his church, you and I, are holy in the city of Long Beach, the city of Long Beach will resonate with a DNA-changing structural uh, component in its social structures. He really believes that a holy people in an unholy place will transfer holiness to that unholiness and will be a redemptive, transformative presence speaking, as he does, order to the chaos all around us. Because the terror is likely to cause us to do what? Causes us to run, doesn't it? To, to quit, to, to pack it in. Let's move where it's safer. Let's, let's get out of this mess. Let's, let's go live with the cows someplace. But no, we're in chaos to be an order-making difference to the chaos. Yeah? So here's Isaiah's vision. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. And this is a, a Hebraism, a euphemism. As you probably, we've talked about this before. But um, this idea of conversation or the idea of, of words that are spoken are not just the words that are spoken Words are viewed as the expression of the life. So in Hebrew, for example, there's, there's only one word for to do and to say. It's the word devar. So when God says, things happen because saying and doing are the same. How many know in our culture, saying and doing are very different things? Right? But for Isaiah, when he uses this euphemism, my, I'm a man of unclean lips, he's not just saying I use bad words. He's saying that the expression of my life cannot stand in this holiness. Not just the words I say, as bad as those might be, or as good as those might be, but they arise from something that can't live with this holiness. What am I to do? And not only am I a mess, everybody I know is a mess. And here we have a God, the tassel of whose robe, fills the temple, he can take us on. What are we to do? And this is where, to me, my favorite passage comes. One of the seraphim flew to me. Set aside singing for a moment. Went to the altar with a tong. He did not even trust himself to pick it up. He took it off the holy place, the altar, with a tong, an instrument. And then with his hand, touched the lips of the prophet and says this. This has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. Oh, my God. How can this be? One moment, he is waiting for his heart to stop beating with the concussive force of holiness. And in the next moment, he is given a new life because holiness is ultimately redemptive in its nature. Forgiveness was given before he had the courage to ask. He had an awareness of his need and God's response was on the way as the awareness was dawning. He didn't ask for forgiveness. He was given forgiveness and then had to have the courage to stand in the new reality of being forgiven. 
You with me? Isn't this stunning? This is what worship does. This is what worship does. And then, I love this next phrase as well. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Now this is, this is mind-blowing to me. Who have we just seen God to be? High, lifted up, exalted, majestic in holiness? In any way is this God needy? No. Can we just establish that for the record? So what is this question? Who can I send? Who will go for us? Who will be my representative? Please notice, we don't even know for what yet. It is just that this almighty God who needs nothing from anyone at any time, who is entirely self-contained, that's part of what holiness means. There is no der derivation, there's no derivative value. He is, he is the only real being in the universe Everything else takes its reality from its relationship of dependence to Him. If He were to stop thinking of you, you would cease to be. You are held together because He is real. So what is He doing? And you'll see this theme repeated over and over and over in the text of Scripture. He is trying to train us as his agents in and to the chaos. He wants us to be his ambassadors. He wants us to be his partners. Can you imagine? He wants us to be his friends in the world. He wants us to go into that chaotic environment in which, from which we have fled. He wants us to go into that space in the power of the new understanding of who God is and who we are. And he's looking for somebody that he can, and the word send here is officially send. It's not just, you know, go get me a cup of coffee. There is a, there is a, a formal language in the New Testament. It's the word that is in behind this apostleship. Who, who, can, who can I send as my representative? By the way, you hear echoes of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where we are created to be the image of God, the representative of God, the agent of God, the ambassador of God in the world. Who can I, who can I, who can I send? And I love, I love this. Because Isaiah is looking around. No, he's not. You can almost hear the eruption of sacrifice out of his soul because of what he has just experienced. He has got a big picture of God. He's got an accurate picture of himself. He has received the forgiveness offered that leads to repentance. What else can he say? But here am I. Can I be useful for something? Send me. Now, what does this have to do with the garden? I think you can figure it out. Anybody coming out of chaos this morning? 
In a few minutes, Mickey's going to lead us in developing a big picture of God. Because when you're chaotic, when things are going sideways, when you've gotten the pink notice, right? Pink slip, right? When, when, when you recognize you've done the math and you know there's more month than money, right? When, when you're, you're, you're at a place where the food bank is not just a, a reasonable option, it's a regular place of shopping, when, when you wonder ab- about, about the boss that you're working with and whether there might be something spiritual going on, have a negative nature in that environment. What do you do? What do you do? Well, Isaiah says, first things first. Get a big picture of God. Please notice, I did not say an accurate picture of God. Why? Because he's holy. You, we, we, we are blind men with elephants. We can see bits and pieces, par- portions and parts. And what we can see, by the way, notice what Isaiah was trusted with, a tassel in the temple. That's all. Can you, can you, can you, can you dig it? Okay. Because remember, God is always doing this, right? He's, he comes to Job at the end of the journey and says, uh, okay, let's, let's start off. Like, do you know where I, I store the hail? Job chapter 38, 39, 40, 41, 42. Do you know where I store the No. Okay. How about the source of the wind? How are you doing with that? No? Okay. And, and we gradually move down. And finally, at the end, God says, okay, let's see if we can get something you can get your puny little head and heart around. Do you know anything about rock badgers? How, how are, or goats? Any, goats, even. Nothing. Okay. You might want to just be quiet then. And it's not in a humiliating way, but it is in a humbling way that Isaiah says, shut my mouth. Because I've got a big picture of God. So you bring the chaos, right? You bring the confusion. You bring the anxiety. You bring the terror. Of the, of, the, of the checkbook that, that bounces off the bottom. You bring it. You, 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 you bring, you bring uh, an, an exam that went sideways and the, the future of that exam tweaks everything that you had thought about yourself. How did... How? You bring it and offer it. And when you get a big picture of God. You develop an accurate picture of yourself. And then you're able to move more freely and and fully into the receiving of the forgiveness that is offered. And then what? You hear the, the echo of God's conversation with himself. Who can I send? Anybody want to volunteer to serve a great God like this in the middle of chaos? You might die. But you'll be okay. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So you go back into that environment. You go back into that chaos. You go back into that confusion. And you live with dignity and respect and honor for the God who has sent you 
for the person he has spoken you into being. You are no longer nothing. You are an ambassador of the living, glorious, mighty God who is high and lifted up. And oh, by the way, not only does a tassel of his robe fill the temple, but his glory fills the earth, including the chaos into which he is sending you. Glory is the Hebrew medium of revelation. When God is glorified, God is seen. When Moses turns aside, remember the story? To see a bush that is burning without being consumed, what he is seeing is the glory of God in localized fashion. And Isaiah, having renewed vision, is able to see that the glory of God fills the earth. You with me? So here's the deal. Is there anything you're facing that glory of God is not adequate for? If so, you need a bigger picture of God. Some of you are facing job transitions. Some of you are facing a terrifying diagnosis. Maybe not for yourself, maybe for someone else. Some of you are right at a place of wondering if you will ever be normal. And you don't even know what that means. And I'm going to suggest to you that that's irrelevant. But you're not. You know? Big picture of God. Accurate picture of self. A receiving of the forgiveness offered. And then a willingness to say, I don't know what the heck you want me to do, but I'm in. Now, the reason Isaiah needed a vision like this was because he was going to minister in Israel for 40 years without one single positive result. How's your chaos doing? Yeah? Let's worship a big God. Develop an accurate picture of ourselves. Receive the forgiveness that he has freely given. And then say, sign me up. Let's pray. Mickey and, and you guys, come on, come on up. Lord Jesus, we're grateful, 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 grateful for this revelation that we see in the Old Testament. Lord, as I sit with my friends here this morning, I know our congregation, our, our people are, are dealing with stuff in the neighborhood, with neighbors, in their places of employment, in their marriages, some of them, uh, in other kinds of relationships, at, at their with 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 uh, co-workers um, just in their own personal finances and and lord sometimes it's just overwhelming it's one more thing after another and we are 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 crushed at times under the weight of our own lives and so i pray oh lord as we take some time even this morning to celebrate you to, to, to sing of your greatness, your glory, your goodness, your grace. I pray that you would help us to have an expanded heart for a God who is big enough for our chaos. In Jesus' name, amen. I cultivate Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from the garden, or if you would like to find out more about the Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.